welcome everybody. It's good to see you guys and good to have you here in this new year. It is really nice that it's 2021, isn't it? I mean, you gotta, you gotta admit that. And so even though things haven't changed completely, it kind of gives us a new outlook, uh, a fresh start, something where we would look and say we're kind of looking forward to something instead of dreading something. And so I'm excited uh, that we're in a new year and I'm excited about where God is gonna lead you and where God is gonna lead Grace Church and uh, excited about what he has in store for us. So hope that you had a great Christmas and I hope that you're having a happy new year. And I really feel like that if Ohio State's performance this weekend is an indication of 2021, then God is powerful and good. And on our side, by the way, so excited about all those things as we <laughs> yelled amen for that. So it's awesome. But welcome, welcome everybody online also. And uh, thanks for joining us here this weekend. We're gonna start a series this weekend that I'm excited about uh, called Resolved. And uh, I think this series is gonna be something that's not only kind of empowering and helpful for the new year, uh, but I think it's gonna help you kind of discover some things and make decisions as you head into the new year. Um, the word resolved is a fascinating word because it means to firmly decide a course of action. And so when you talk about like a new year's resolution, that's a resolve illusion. It's looking and saying, I'm gonna decide a course of action. I'm gonna decide a direction for my life. And that's how I'm gonna move and what I am going to do. And when I was thinking about kind of leading us into the new year, and thinking about kind of moving forward past everything and all the frustrations of 2021, starting to look ahead and say, okay, how do we kind of retool, regear, reset ourselves? Uh, this idea of resolved is really what God came to mind or brought to mind for me. Uh, when I look at this, I, I think that there is a time in our faith journey where as a Christ follower, we have to make a resolution. And we have to decide who we're gonna be and what we're gonna be in our lives. A few years ago, um, I was talking with a young man. Uh, his parents had brought him to me uh, several times because he was making bad decisions, decisions mostly around his integrity. And so they had brought him into me and they were kind of like fixing Pastor Jeff, which by the way, never works, but I tried my best. And so I talked to him and I talked to him about his home and I talked to him about his upbringing and, and felt like we'd made some progress and then kind of sent him out and he made a bunch more bad decisions and so they threw him back in my office and I talked to him then about his thinking process and his identity and his self-worth and we made some breakthroughs and I sent him back out and they threw him back into my office because he made another set of bad decisions. And the third time in my office, I talked to him about sin and I talked to him about truth. And I talked to him about consequences and he got all of that. And I felt like we made some progress and I sent him out and he made bad decisions and came back and he's in my office for a fourth time and his parents are desperate and he is now mostly through high school. And the fourth time, the fifth time he sat in my office, I looked at him, I said, listen, bud, here's the bottom line. I don't have anything to teach you. I don't have anything to help you to discover. You do not need a counselor. I do not have anything else that I can help you unpack from your childhood or about from your emotional well-being. I looked at him and said, buddy, here's the bottom line. 
you're just gonna have to decide who you wanna be. You have to decide if you wanna be a man of integrity, if you wanna be a person who invests their life, if you wanna be a person who stands for Christ and is defined and directed by Christ, or if you wanna stay on the path that you're going down. Because I don't have any other tools to give you. There's no mystery about what's going on in your life. You have to decide the direction you're gonna go in your life and who's gonna define it, and that's the bottom line. And that conversation was, a, was an illuminating conversation for him and me. By the way, that story has a happy ending. He decided that he was going to be a man of God and has been walking with God for a long time now. But it was also a, a, an illuminating story for me because as I try to help people, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor because I love you guys and I love people and I want to try to be a part of helping people. And I'm very aware of pain and very aware of frustration and very aware of what the Bible will call ignorance. People just don't know what they don't know. And I'm very aware of, of complications in life. And I'm very aware of individual uh, stories. And I'll kind of be the first to jump in front of people and say, listen, you need to understand, or maybe you don't know, hurting people hurt people. I'm very aware of all those things. But one of the things that this interaction with this young man taught me is that I'm also very aware of decisions. And there's a point in our lives where we simply have to decide, we have to resolve that this is what I'm giving my life to. And I'm choosing this and I'm choosing it over these other things in my life. And regardless of circumstances and despite my past and beyond my pain and pushing through my weaknesses, I'm deciding that this is how I'm going to move my life forward. And if you talk with almost anybody who has moved their life, you'll find that they came to that point in their life. You talk to any couple who's had a long marriage, you'll find that in the course of their marriage, they decided that they were gonna stay married. You talk to anybody who's ever gotten in shape or had financial success or anything like that, pushed through anything hard, anybody who's ever got a degree or a graduate degree, they resolved somewhere, they decided that despite the circumstances and despite the pain and despite the things that pressed against them, that they were going to accomplish this, ready? And if you talk to anybody who has a strong faith in Jesus Christ, who has walked with God, who is mature in their relationship with Christ, they have decided somewhere that they're going to have their life defined and directed by Jesus Christ, and that's the end of that conversation for them. It's no longer an if, it's a how, see. They're no longer weighing the issue. They're figuring out how to execute that in practical ways in their life, see. When I look back on 2020, I'm super proud of us as a church and super proud of a lot of individuals who have worked through some very, very difficult things. It's a very difficult and a highly frustrating year, right? And when I started to look into 2021, I thought to myself, well, what are we going to do? Talk about that some more? <laughs> I, I don't, I'm out of words. I don't know what else to say. 
Uh, nobody needs to know that these are unprecedented times. Are you sick of that statement? That should cancel culture. We should cancel that phrase right there, right? We all know that. We all know that it's been unique. We all know that it's a global pandemic. We all know that it's unprecedented, and it is. And that's the fact of the matter. Who are we going to be as Christ followers? And who are we going to be as a church? And who are you going to be? What's going to define you? What's going to direct you? What's going to be your identity? And I would lean, of course, very strong and say, when you look at the people of God and you look at the call of God, he would say without any apology whatsoever that all of that should be found in him. Peter says something really interesting in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which, war, which wage war against your soul. God would look at Christ's followers and he'd say, guys, listen, you are always going to be the outsider. The political system's never going to agree with you. The economic system's never going to agree with you. The cultural mores are never going to agree with you. None of that is ever going to work. In fact, if the people of God and the church of God fit neatly into any culture at any time in any place on the planet, it's always because the people of God and the church of God have compromised within that culture. Peter says who you are in Christ is you are a foreigner and an exile. You are a people unto God, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. As a Christ follower, we're not supposed to belong in the culture around us. We're not supposed to fit in. And if we do, it's not the culture that we somehow redeemed it and changed it, made it perfect. It's us who walked away from the biblical principles and the calling of Christ in our life. It's always that way. So Peter says, the way that you see yourself as a Christ follower is you see yourself as a foreigner and an exile, and you do that because you're going to have to abstain from certain things. You're going to have to resolve to live life a certain way in a way that not everybody else around you is going to live that life. You're going to have to abstain from sinful desires. Why? Because they wage war against your soul. The things that the culture around us is going to elevate and celebrate and sing about and push you toward are the very things that Christ is going to look and say, don't lose your soul to those things. You can gain the world. You can fit in. You can make it like everybody else is made. You can give yourself all those same values. You can gain the world, but you'll lose your soul in the process. You are in a place and in a mindset and in a culture that cannot agree with you because it's not defined and directed by Christ, but it will wage war against your soul. And that is the normal, natural position of a follower of Jesus Christ. That's not because the culture broke down. That's not because an election was won or lost. That's not because of a global pandemic. That's not because times have changed. That's because if you call on the name of the Lord, you act differently, you think differently, you're motivated differently because you are called out by God to those things. You are not supposed to fit in. And when we compromise and when we weave those things into our lives, it doesn't damage our psyche. It doesn't even always damage like our relationships or our health, 
the war is not waged against your mind. The war is waged against your soul. And it's not the health of a culture that suffers. It's not the mentality of a culture that suffers. It's the soul of a culture that dies. And the same thing happens in a person. See? It's not that you'll be somehow homeless or that God will strike you with lightning or you'll never be blessed again or you'll get transferred to Michigan. Like, that's not what that means. That means that what you live for, the things that give you life, the very things God wants to provide for you are the very things that you'll lose. See? Because you don't see yourself in the context in which God has called you and placed you. Now, what I want to do in this series is I want to introduce you to four guys. And we're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to talk about these four guys. And these four guys are fascinating guys because these are four guys who were put into a culture that waged war against their soul. For the Christ follower... That Jesus would be really, really clear that I'm not to be defined by the world around me, right? So as a Christ follower, what that means is that I'm always to live in tension with the world around me. That I, it's never supposed to feel right. It's never supposed to feel at home because I am a foreigner or an exile in that land. As a Christ follower, I'm not to be defined by the culture, but I am to serve people who are defined by the culture, as a Christ follower, I'm not to find my value in the culture, but I am to love people who find their value in the culture. As a Christ follower, I, I, I would look and say the culture has no authority over me. It doesn't define and direct me, but I honor those who have authority over the culture. So when you look at what Jesus taught and how he kind of trains us up, he would say, you live in this tension. I don't work against the people around me or the culture around me, but I don't find my worth, my value, my security, or my hope in it. And the four guys I want to introduce you to are guys who figured out that tension. They walked in that tension, they lived in that tension, and they functioned in that tension. And I believe that we would look at them and say, they did that. Today we would say they did it in a Christ-like way. They did it in a way that would have honored God and loved and served and benefited the people around them, but they were never contaminated or changed by the culture that God placed them, them in. Uh, these guys were guys who were able to not only resist the pull of the culture, but were able to honor God. They were able to serve the people, but they weren't assimilated into their culture. And these four guys, their names are this. Their names are Belshazzar, Hananiah, uh, Michelle, and Azariah. Or we would probably know them better as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I want to show you some of their journey. If you got a Bible, grab it and open up to the book of Daniel. It's, a, it's page 179 and the Bible's in the chairs. If you're watching online, it's on the app or on the website there, you can look at it. Daniel chapter one, I'm just going to read you kind of chunks of Daniel chapter one so you can start to get your head around their story a little bit, okay? So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Jewish royalty, and their capital city would have been Jerusalem, right? 
And they were Israelites or Jewish people. They were the people chosen by God. They worshiped the one true God. And they would have been in the upper echelons of those people in Jerusalem. And in Daniel chapter one, verse one, the Bible says this, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord delivered into his hands the city and gave him victory and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylon and placed them there in the treasure house of his gods. Then the king orders his chief of staff to bring uh, to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who, who had been brought to Babylon as captives. He said this, select only the strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. The chief uh, of staff chose Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he renamed them with Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Michelle was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. And then verse eight is a very key verse, ready? Verse eight, Daniel chapter one. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Verse 17, God gave these four men unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And he gave Daniel the special ability to interpret dreams, the meaning of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishela, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in a matter of requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the other magicians or wise men and enchantments in his entire kingdom. These four guys were Jewish royalty. God gave Jerusalem over to an enemy, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, these guys and their families are kidnapped and they're taken back to Babylon. And then the king says to the chief of staff, choose the pick of the litter. They gotta be smart, they gotta be wise, they gotta be good looking, they gotta be all those things. Choose the pick of the litter and make them Babylonian, is what he was saying. Train them in the literature, train them in the culture, train them in the history, train them in the customs, make them Babylonian. I don't want them to be Jewish anymore. I want them to be Babylonian. And that's exactly what the chief of staff started to do. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego began that process, completed that process, and graduated at the top of the class and entered into the king's service, right? Now, I want us to see some things. As we look back over this, I want you to see the process begin to play out. And we're gonna hang out with these guys for a few weeks, so we'll get deeper into their lives. But I want you to see this process to begin to play out in their lives a little bit. The first thing I want you to see is this. They wound up in Babylon instead of Jerusalem because the Lord delivered them there. I want you to catch that. 
verse one, chapter one, verse two, chapter one, the Lord delivered Jerusalem into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Why were they in Babylon? Why were they in captivity? Why were they going through hard times? Why was life frustrating? Why was it difficult? Ready? Because God wanted it that way. He delivered them to that place in their lives. And he was exactly where he wanted them to be. And those four boys, who were probably teenagers when they went, they resolved to trust that they were where God wanted them to be. I believe, I believe that this is where spiritual resolve starts. That as a Christ follower, until I learn to trust what we call the sovereignty of God, sovereignty is just trusting that God has supreme power and control over all things. So in other words, nothing's ever going to happen to me as a Christ follower unless God knows it or allows it. I am never out from under the protection of God. I'm never out from under the blessing of God. I'm never out from under the control of God. The world is never spinning out of control. Now that is one of the hardest spiritual truths to get your head around. Because we like to believe that when our lives are going well, that means that God is blessing us And when our lives are going poorly, that means that God has removed his hand from us. And that is often not true. So we'll trust God in blessings and we'll resent God in hardship. We'll affirm God's love for us and our blessings and we'll fear that he's abandoned us when we go through hardship. And these boys in their journey, somewhere in there, Verse eight, chapter one says, Daniel did it. They resolved that they were gonna rest in and trust the sovereignty of God regardless of the circumstances they were in because God had placed them where he wanted them to be. These are rich kids. These are good looking kids. These are smart kids. They went to private school. They were royalty. They had lived a privileged life and they were in a theological system that taught them that when you did what God wanted, he blessed you. When you didn't do what God wanted, he cursed you. But God delivered them. Nothing ever happens in your life. Nothing ever happens in your life that's outside of God's control. And the question isn't, is God in control or out of control? That question will torment you and get you nowhere. The question is, if God has placed me here, what would he have me to do here? Guys, listen, I love you. But we spend way too much time trying to get away from the very place God wants us to be because we resent it. I don't want it. And hey, I'm guilty of it. I don't like it either. But when we spend all of our time trying to get out of the place that God has placed us, we won't spend any of our time trying to understand how to redeem the circumstances that he's brought us to. 
As you learn these four guys' lives, you're going to see that theme again and again and again. They weren't trying to go back to Jerusalem. They were trusting that the Lord had delivered them to the very place that he wanted them to be. Here's another observation I made, that when you look at their story and you start to get your head around it, these guys resolved that they were going to find their identities in the one true God. They were going to find their identities in the one true God. These guys were church kids, right? They would have been as Jewish royalty. They would have grown up going to synagogue. They would have gone to what we would call a Christian school or a synagogue school, right? They would have known the Old Testament by heart, especially the first four or five books. They would have known that, all that stuff and been very, very versed in it. They would have known all of the practices of the temple and they would have practiced them. And they would have said that Yahweh is the one true God, which we would say, even as Christians, that's true in the Old Testament, we would call him Christ now, is the one true God. So they knew all of that. They locked into all of that and their whole upbringing and their whole training was rooted in that. They found their identity in it. The Babylonians' goal was to train them to be Babylonian. That's why the chief of staff changed their name. He literally was pulling out their faith identity. He didn't even want them to know that or to understand that. They wanted to strip away the foundations of their faith. Just catch this super quick, ready? Every Jewish name has a meaning to it. That's the way that the Hebrew language works. So Daniel means God is my judge, or I serve an audience of one. I do this only for God. Hananiah means God is gracious. He's loving to me. Michelle means who is like God. It's, think of a worship leader, worshiping who is like God, and we would sing about that. Azariah means Yahweh has helped, or God helps me. He guides me. He gives me truth. Their literal names were rooted in Yahweh and in the idea of Yahweh and in the character of Yahweh, and they were locked into that. When the chief of staff changed their names, he was literally trying to rip that out of them. Belshazzar, which is Daniel's Babylonian names, means Bel protect the king. Bel was the son of the king. In other words, I'm not a son of God anymore. I'm a son of Nebuchadnezzar, and I give my life to him. That was his new name. Shadrach means commander of Ayuk. Ayuk was a Babylonian god. So I am a general. Instead of a worship leader, I'm a general for the armies of a Babylonian god. Uh, Meshach means who and what is Ayuk. That's a worship term. So I'm not leading worship at church anymore. I'm leading worship for the false gods of the Babylonians. Abednego means servant of Nabu. Nabu was a Babylonian god. It was Nebuchadnezzar's favorite god. And so instead of being a servant of Yahweh, now I'm a servant of another false God. They changed their names because they wanted them to be Babylonian. They literally named them the opposite of their roots. They, they, they tried to convince them that they're no longer God's children. Now you're Akuk's child, you're Naboo's child, that's who you are. 
You're, you're Nebuchadnezzar's child. Those things you grew up learning, none of that's true of, any, of you anymore. And your new destiny, your new life, your future is all tied up in Babylon. It has nothing to do with Jerusalem anymore. They were trying to remove the memory of their faith. Listen, college student, this is exactly what's happening to you on campus. People are trying to remove that stuff you learned. That's stupid. I can't even believe it. It's so backwards. They're trying to remove the memory of your faith. This is what happens when you go to work and your faith seems unprofessional. What'd you do this weekend? Went to church? <laughs> what, did your grandma die? Like, why would you do that? You actually believe that? There's a culture that's trying to remove the memory of your faith. This is what happens when you're told to live for the moment. See, your life is now commanded by the culture. It's not commanded by Christ to do what you want. That's what the culture says to do. This is what happens when prayer is viewed as quaint. This is what happens when God's plain truth is, is, is mocked as props for simpletons. You actually believe the Bible says that about morality? We live in a culture that would want to remove even the memory, the identity that we have been given or might have in Christ. And these men were undergoing that. This was not a passive assimilation. This was a purposeful, aggressive re-education so that your identity wasn't in Yahweh, your identity now was in Babylon. And you'll see as we go through their story that that didn't work for them. They, their names were changed. They went into the service of the king. They didn't try to sneak away, but they didn't compromise who they were or what they were. Somewhere along the way, they decided they resolved that this is who I am, this is who I want to be, and this is how my life is going to be defined and directed. The last thing that I was thinking about when I was looking at all this is a real interesting one. And we'll see this play out in their story, but it's this. Somewhere along the line, they resolved to define the culture instead of being defined by it. They resolved to define the culture instead of being defined by it. They did that by redeeming their circumstances instead of demeaning their circumstances. Did you catch that? It's really good. You should put that on Twitter. They did that by redeeming their circumstances instead of demeaning their circumstances. This is what I see sometimes, and this is something that the church is guilty of and that the people of God are guilty of. Ready? The people of God are often guilty of demeaning the place that God has delivered us to. And when we think about resolve and standing firm and being strong in the Lord, the way that that often plays out is in a demeaning, insulting way to the culture 
that God has placed us in to love, serve, and win. The current popular response of the church has been to demean the culture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I resolve to tell people how stupid they are. I'll do it on social media, the most effective platform for having conversations. I will do that. Right? I'll resolve to let people know how wicked they are. Somebody's got to tell them. I'm going to stand on the street corner and scream at strangers because they'll listen. <laughs> right? I'm going to do that. I resolve to stand alone. I will never be around another sinner. I'm never going to go to a party held by non-Christians again. That's terribly sad. And by the way, that's a lame party. I mean, non-Christians throw way better parties than Christians do. Like, right? We resolve, but we isolate. We resolve, but we attack. We resolve, but we demean. We resolve, and what we mean is we'll try to take over and we'll impose our will on the people around us. You won't see that with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They resolved to trust God, and they resolved to find their identity in who we would say Christ now. And they resolved not to be defined by the culture, but to define it. But they did that without protest, without argument, without being offensive. They simply lived in the truth that their God was greater than the cultural wisdom of their day. Their resolution, when you see their story, you'll see their, their resolution was humble, gracious, sacrificial, and trustworthy toward the culture that had taken them captive. Not just with each other, not just in response to God, but in response to the king who had invaded their home taken them off in slavery and tried to re-educate them to make them Babylonian. They went through that whole process, and this is what Daniel chapter 1, verse 18 says, when the training period ordered by the king was complete, the chief of staff brought all the young men to Nebuchadnezzar. He talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so they entered the royal service. And when the king consulted them in a matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than everybody else around them. Somehow, when they were going through this three-year period of re-education, they pulled the truth out of their secular education. They didn't just resent their secular education. They just says, look and say, if you're not a Christ follower, what do you have to teach me? They pulled the truth out of that while never forsaking the one true God. They embraced their identity in what we would say God or in Christ by excelling at the work that they were told to do. They were 10 times better. They didn't hate their jobs. They didn't hate their coworkers. They weren't checking the, you know, hoping the church was hiring this month. They, they were better at their vocation than anybody else was while not being assimilated into the culture. They served. They sacrificed. They were trustworthy. 
in the work that the king was asking them to do. They never broke their lives into a sacred and a secular paradigm. I go to church here and I worship God and then I forget God and I go to work and then I forget work and I go to the church. For them, it was all one life. And just like they understood that God had delivered them to Babylon from Jerusalem, they also understood that he delivered them to the class for the training, that he delivered them to the king for the inspection, that he delivered them into the king's service. And as Christ followers, they excelled in all of those ways. They redeemed whatever circumstances God delivered them into. They lived out their life's calling to an audience of one. Whether they were at home, church, work, they were searching to serve the one true God. And they made Jesus make sense. That's how we would say it today, through their vocation. And they gave themselves fully to that. These boys didn't run from their circumstances. They weren't trying to get home. That wasn't their big goal. They didn't lose their God-given identity. They weren't willing to just become Babylonian. You can name me whatever you want, but I serve the one true God, so that's of no consequence to me. They worked and built their lives in a godless culture to the glory of their God. And in that whole process, what we'll see here over the next few weeks, the story will blow your mind. God changed them. He changed those around them. He changed a king He changed several kings, and he changed a nation. Not because he miraculously delivered people from circumstances they didn't want to be in, and not because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego somehow got really cool and hip and made, but because they just decided that this is who we are, this is who God has called us to be, This is the place that he's called us to be in. And we're going to give ourselves to him and allow him and trust him and yield to him as he defines the circumstances around us. Guys, this is where we have to be. You know, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, what am I going to teach you that you don't know? If you grew up in the church and you're out of high school and you're off to college, if you don't decide to find Christian community, decide to feed your faith, decide to lock into another local church because maybe you're off somewhere watching this on the internet right now. If you don't decide, what am I going to do? I don't have anything else to say or to do. The delivery of the gospel is as simple as it's ever been. You just got to turn your phone on. Hear any sermon in the world. 
if we don't decide, if we don't resolve that it's Christ and Christ alone, that I will build my life off of that and nothing else. And what I want you to see with these guys, this isn't some grandiose moment where the band plays softly and I give an invitation and you cry and everybody, that's not what this is. This isn't a grand spiritual interaction where you have a vision from God and you get warm fuzzies all over you. That's not what this is. This is a decision. It's a resolution that I'm going to give my life this way and not this way. I'm going to live in the tension of how to love and serve people that do not view life and do not have values that I have. I'm going to rest that whether my life is going a grand slam like I thought it would or it's going the opposite direction that I ever thought that it would, that God has determined that and he's put the people in my life that are in my life because they need to know the hope and the truth of Jesus. I'm gonna make Jesus make sense at work. I'm gonna make Jesus make sense at school. I'm gonna make Jesus make sense in my neighborhood. I don't, I don't really have anything else to say. But you have to decide. I had to decide. Everybody does. Who do I yield to? We're supposed to be in Babylon. It's the normal state of a Christ follower. But as an exile, as a foreigner, fully aware that it's waging war against my soul. So Daniel resolved. Jesus, help us. God, and in the quietness of our heart and lives in a new year, Lord, we're all so optimistic about this new year. We're tired, we're worn out, we're done. But we must trust. We must cling. We must hold on to you. somehow stir in us deeply, even right now. Lord, I don't want to sell this, but I want you to work deeply that will anchor our faith, that will yield our lives, that we will embrace living as strangers in a strange land because we are your children, citizens of your kingdom, we find our hope there. In these still moments, would you press deeply into our hearts and help us, God, to resolve to build our lives off of you and you alone.